I'm Natasha Livingston, Royal Correspondent for The Mail on Sunday. Welcome to The Crown, Fact or Fiction. This is the podcast where we put royal experts on the sofa, turn on The Crown and tell you if what you're seeing is how things really happened. I'm joined on this and every episode of The Crown, Fact or Fiction by Robert Hardman, Royal Biographer and Mail Columnist. Hello, Natasha. Hello. Nice to see you again. <laughs> Now, Diana, of course, dominates part one of series six. And since its release, her photo, or rather Elizabeth Debicki looking eerily like Diana, has been all over the front pages. How does it feel to see Diana's image back again? Well, Diana was just all over the front pages all the way through the 90s. And I think the publicists for Netflix and for The Crown have worked out that her star quality is as powerful now as it's ever been. So yes, we've got these these sort of reconfigured images of Elizabeth Debicki in various famous poses and scenes that, that immediately bring those memories flooding back. And at least when you compare the footage, it seems like Elizabeth has mimicked the behaviour, mannerisms of Diana so well, eerily well, particularly kind of cocking her head to the side with eyes that are sort of rimmed with dark eyeliner and that's probably exaggerated but for you does that feel like it yeah, rings I, true? I, I think of all the Diana impersonators and actresses that there have been over the last 25 odd years I think she's she's right up there one of the best I think she's got that sort of combination of vulnerability great dignity but also an air of mischief slight impishness and a confidence you know you have to remember by this stage in her life you know Diana she'd been through a lot she was embarking on a new life as a, a divorced woman and there was a steeliness. It's going to be an emotional experience for a lot of members of the public seeing Diana back in the media on the front pages, but particularly so for people that knew her and particularly the family for Prince William and Harry, it's it's going to be difficult for them. I think it will be difficult for them if, if they actually watch it. You know, Having said that, she's a very good representation of Diana. I mean, I think the, the question of taste is highly debatable here. I think a lot of people are going to find a lot of this series. Obviously, we haven't seen it all yet, but judging by what we've seen so far, you know, it, it's, it's straying into very intimate territory. And I think some people will find that the playing fast and loose and just sheer fabrication of conversations that we know nobody heard other than the people involved it runs the risk of upsetting a lot of people because the more realistic diana is the more people will sort of somehow feel would she have said that and maybe she wouldn't have said that and yeah i think it's going to test our patience at times this series natasha that's my feeling so I think it's time to start looking at episode two. And I would say to all our listeners, spoiler alert, if you don't want to know what happens in The Crown, series six, episode two, come back and listen to this podcast when you've watched the episode. But for everybody else, it's now time to sit back and get into episode two. People, they pay one, $200,000 for the right shot. But the right to shot is hard to get. Does the Queen know me? I wouldn't say she knows me, but she often smiles when she sees me. Don't you ever get tired of it? Not if you don't, Mum. No. no danger of that. So we've just watched the opening scene of the second episode where we're introduced to 
two very different photographers. The first is a Italian celebrity paparazzi called Mario Brenner, who, as far as we're concerned, was real. Yes, yeah, he existed and uh, and took, well, I think we're about to see, some pretty famous photos. Yeah, and then the second photographer is a man called Duncan Muir who works out of Aberdeenshire and is a royal freelance photographer with a kind of earnest passion for the royal family. But we could find absolutely no trace of Duncan. We don't think he was real. I don't think, I think Duncan Muir is, is, is a, a creation um, uh, of the, of the scriptwriter, obviously to serve a purpose later in the, in the episode. I'm not quite sure where this is going at the moment, but I mean, clearly we're seeing two very different types of photographer, of, of, if you like, of media creature. And I think we can see that's going to take us down two different paths later in this episode. Yeah, this episode is called The Two Photographs, and I think it perfectly sums up the crown because we have two photographers introduced as fact but one was very real and the other one as far as we can tell is total fiction <laughs> yeah well like that, that, that wouldn't be the first time that's happened in the crown <laughs> we must still discuss diana princess of wales where is she now i want a progress report dodie and the princess is it a success? Seems very much a success, sir. Uh, no, no! Lots of talking and... I want you to tell me if Mr. Dodie and the princess are intimate. So we've just seen two very different scenes. One is the palace looking dark and dingy. All the royal family are in a sort of board meeting going through various different agendas. And then there's a bit of an awkward one, which is where is Diana and what is she up to? And it's fair to say they all look pretty uncomfortable discussing that. Then we're transported to the sunny Mediterranean where Diana and Dodie are lounging around in the sun, having a great time. Inside the yacht, we see pretty equally uncomfortable discussion, but for different reasons, between Mohammed Al-Fayed, what looks like his security guard, and then his maid. What did you think about this, Robert? Uh, well, yes, again, they're, they're, they're setting up these two polar opposite worlds. You've got the sort of, as you say, the rather dingy, earnest royal family meeting at the palace and then cut to the sunny Mediterranean. But but actually at the heart of it, you've got a, a matriarch, the Queen, leading the meeting of what was called the Way Ahead Group. Um, this, this committee did actually meet at this sort of time in the, the mid to late 90s. There's absolutely no way they would have all sat around the royal family discussing the love life of Diana. I mean, that just simply is complete fabrication. It was a very earnest sort of committee that discussed royal engagements, who should be doing what, where and when. They would not be discussing anybody's private life like that. But I think what you see there, it's, it's sort of setting up the Queen, going, well, what's going on? And then we cut to this very uh, dramatic scene. They've certainly been using the drone well, haven't they? We see the sort of aerial shot of this incredibly opulent yacht. There are Dodie and Diana. I know um, where I'd rather be. Well, <laughs> uh, but again, you've got the head of another family, in this case, Mohammed Fayed, and he wants to know how things are going. And it's all a bit, I think, a bit creepy. And yeah, I think we both sort of grimaced a bit there as he's sort of grilling the domestic staff on the nature of the relationship. But, you know, it's pointing us down two very separate paths for the rest of this episode. And aside from the sort of quite icky questions about whether or not they're intimate, he then is seen to be 
ordering a paparazzi photographer to sort of capture the romance. And while we know that obviously very famous pictures happened, I don't think we know for sure that he was behind it. I mean, I found a quote from Mario Brenner, the Italian photographer at the time, who said he happened to spot Diana and Dodi as he was in the area on another photographic assignment. So I think they're actually pretty lucky that Mohammed Al-Fayed, as difficult as this to say, he passed away in August this year. And if he was still around, you imagine that's the kind of thing that he would contest quite strongly. Yeah, I mean, the implication is that he was breaking all confidences of both of his son and of the princess for his own aggrandizement. That's the subplot. As you say, he's no longer around to defend himself. I suspect maybe one or two of his old allies might have something to say on this. But for now, he is looking like the villain of the piece. So let's see what happens next. Because men's hands are so important. Like their lips have to be just the right temperature. I'm buying the right temperature. I don't know. Need to check. The word toe curling comes to mind, watching that scene. I don't know if you agree. As enjoyable as it is being transported back to the Mediterranean and the yacht, we are subjected to Diana and Dodie flirting with each other. This is, of course, to portray what was going on behind the photographs and what led up to the kiss that was eventually splashed across the front pages. Peter Morgan's writing is normally pretty good, but I think it's it's pretty insulting to the both of them to have imagined them flirting in that way, talk about their limbs and the temperature of their lips. And, and there's a particular bit where they then stray on to something that is some of the most serious and important work that Diana did, which was raising awareness of the danger of landmines and the charities that she worked with, which is, you know, that was a good thing that they cover that. But then they kind of, pardon the pun, but then blow up that positive impact by this line where she compares her wedding day to stepping on a landmine, which I know has already irritated some biographers who have said that Diana would never have made such a crude comparison. What do you think, Robert? Obviously, this is a, a wholly fabricated um, conversation, but it's a wholly fabricated and very intimate conversation. So I think it's a sort of case of double liberties here. Um, and yes, you're right. I think to trivialise um, the landmine issue in the way that it does here, I'm from, vaguely from memory, I mean, I, I, I think that the, at one point the princess said in a completely different context that you know her wedding day had been a sort of you know been a, a pivotal turning point I'm not sure she phrased it like that but that the the way that you've then got Dodie talking about her legs and, and it would be a war crime against humanity if if anything happened to them I mean it, it's just I'm afraid like you it's like oh god could we move on which had um, no breakfast we know that the episode is called two photographs so there we've seen the the real paparazzo Mario Brenner. We've seen a depiction of him amazingly getting very close to the fired yacht without actually being spotted by any of the crew who I'm quite sure would have picked him up at that sort of distance. And we see there he is on the back of a speedboat and he's got the picture of his career. And it's the picture of Dodie and, and Diana kissing. That picture did exist. We know that. The way in which it's come about, the way that he's been led to the yacht by Mohammed Fayed, we simply 
do not know that. And I noticed that uh, it, it was done in a rather sort of Bondish way, wasn't it? Did you feel they had a sort of slight James Bond feel? The, the big kit, but not necessarily on Her Majesty's service, secret or otherwise. Shall we see what happens now that the cat, as it were, is out of the bag and everybody knows that these photographs are out there, they just haven't seen them yet. This is a robbery! Telephone call, Mr. Fired. He said it was urgent. I'm just calling to let you know that apparently there are some photos of us on the boat. Apparently the photographs were bought by the Sunday Mirror, the fiercest bidding war in Fleet Street history. Well, I think what we've seen there is obviously a plot shift, but a very poignant moment. I mean, you've seen the boys being reunited with their mother and then about to go off with Charles. And there's a ostensibly rather touching, amicable chat between the Prince of Wales and Diana before the boys say goodbye. And at the back of my mind is the simple fact that what they're showing there is that's the last time those boys saw their mother. So, you know, knowing that, as we all do, that does add, a, a, I think, a very deep poignancy to that moment. Did you feel that, Natasha? Yeah, there's a real sense of sadness that hangs over that scene. Diana makes a joke about how William and Harry can't wait to be rid of her as they're travelling off to Balmoral with Charles. And considering this is the moment they're recreating when we don't know what was really said, but this is the last time they saw her alive, it's pretty tragic. Yeah, it is. And, and I think on, on top of that, there is just uh, that, that inherent sadness of a divorced young mum who loves her children and she's waving them off for their summer holidays. You, you know, I think that in itself shows her in a sort of vulnerable light. There's an inherent sadness there. But given that we know what's coming next, I think it's one of the most affecting moments in the series that we've seen so far. So uh, shall we see what's happening now? I think she's on her way to Bosnia. Every 20 minutes across the world, someone is maimed or killed by anti-personnel landmines. Diana, does the Queen know about your new boyfriend? Who's next after Bosnia? Eat it. We've just seen the culmination, really, of the first photograph where Diana's kind of happy days in the Mediterranean are suddenly bumped with the reality of the impact of this photo being splashed across the front pages. The Crown shows us two different scenes, one of which is Diana in Bosnia doing important work, raising awareness of landmines, and then back in Balmoral where the Queen and the Royal Family learn of these photographs. And looking at the dates, that front page on the Sunday Mirror was on the 10th of August, which I believe was the last day that Diana was in Bosnia. But we have also seen a classic crown conflation because we see this very famous landmine walk that Diana did, but that was actually in Angola in January 1997, not August. So it's all a bit of a mishmash. <laughs> yeah, they've, what they've done there is dealt with the sort of Diana's very well-known and applauded landmine campaign by sort of compressing it all into one scene. As you say, she never walked through a minefield in Bosnia. Uh, she was out there um, before the sensational photo appeared. And you've got there a sort of almost a comedy press conference where the entire media are sort of 
just ganging up and hurling ever more embarrassing questions at, a, at an increasingly flustered Diana, and it's making her look very vulnerable. There was no press conference. Those questions were not hurled at her. I think from I wasn't there, but um, certainly from talking to people who, at the time who were, I think one journalist threw in a question as she was going on a walkabout and uh, she just ignored it. From memory, actually, it was a very effective trip. It did remind people once again of the dangers of landmines. I think it will broadly be regarded, certainly by the landmine charity involved and by Foreign Office and everybody else, as a success. One thing that's interesting is, aside from the fake press conference and the merging of the dates from her visit to Bosnia and Angola, which was in January, is Diana did this to raise awareness of the incredible work of the Halo Trust, which is the landmine charity. And the pictures from the time show her wearing a badge, which clearly had the logo and the name of the charity. And that was broadcast around the world and was hugely impactful for that charity. And the Crown has millions of viewers also around the world. But for some reason, they didn't choose to name the charity when they were meticulously recreating the outfit that Diana wore. She's instead wearing a badge which says Relief Aid, which is actually a charity based in New Zealand that has nothing to do with landmines and were totally baffled when I contacted them about this. They said uh, they were founded in 2015, they've never worked in Angola and do not do mine clearance. And the Halo Trust said that they weren't asked or consulted about the scene and would have been delighted if their logo would have been used and featured in the show. So it's it's kind of another opportunity where they've faked things for reasons that are unclear. Well, this podcast is called The Crown Fact or Fiction, and I think the, the, the F for fiction file just got a little bit fatter there. <laughs> um, but uh, I think one other point I would make here is this idea that suddenly this is, this is all a terrible shock for the Queen. You have to remember this is 1997. She'd been through this year after year, the Annus Horribilis um, of, of far worse photos, frankly, of the Duchess of York, were a full five years earlier. So the idea that somehow the paparazzi or awkward photography is this sort of great threat to the they are well used to it. As I've said before, I'll say it again, I think we we once again looking at the Queen as this put-upon, down-in-the-dumps person who's, who's just sort of been buffeted from one crisis to the next. She was always very happy at Balmoral, and uh, I, I don't think we see that here. So, shall we see how it plays out up in the Highlands after the break? <laughs> Prince William, can you come closer in, please? Widgeon. Two minutes. Widgeon, come. Two minutes. Come here. Two minutes. Right. Come on. And if you could look to me, please. That's the shot. So this is what's happened now. The Prince of Wales's spin doctor, Mark Boland, has arrived at Balmoral to say this is the time to really stunt up a rival photograph, and he persuades Prince Charles to do this. Prince Charles doesn't want to do another photograph. All the royal family hate photo calls anyway. But the the killer blow that the spin doctor produces is that Diana has planted a story in, where else? The Mail, saying that the prince offloaded his sons for a weekend because he wanted to spend the weekend with Mrs Parker Bowles. And therefore, says the spin doctor, it's time to have a photo shoot of our own to sort of show... Prince Charles 
as a caring, dutiful father in the wholesome backdrop of the highlands. Yes, the photograph, the photo shoot by the banks of the River Dee, it happened. It looks familiar. Uh, but I think what really sticks in the craw to me is the way that it's all laid on as a sort of counter. It's a sort of rebuttal to the Diana Dodie picture because what it doesn't show is actually there wasn't one photographer who got a call saying, oh, you turn up at the riverbank and get a lovely picture. Uh, this was a pre-arranged photo shoot. Uh, there was something like 40 media there. It had been arranged for weeks. It had been arranged, actually, long before anyone knew about Diana and Dodie photograph. It was what you might call a bog-standard summer photo opportunity. And the deal was turn up, take some nice pictures of the prince and his sons, and then leave them in peace for the rest of the holiday. And that more or less would happen, although one or two paparazzi might break that particular agreement. So it wasn't, as you see in this episode, it wasn't this piece of deft media spin. It was frankly a fairly straightforward photo opportunity. But the scenery was just like that, and so was the river, and certainly Widge and the dog played a key role, I seem to remember. Yeah, I think this is a case where the facts are way off, but it looks real. They've recreated the picture so well. Even in the picture, William is kind of awkwardly scratching under his arm, and you can see the actor doing that there. And one thing that I think is quite funny is the actor, Flynn Edwards, playing Harry, looks suitably quite pale under the kind of Scottish cloudy skies and I know he said in an interview that his mother slathered him in sun cream as soon as he was cast to be Harry because she said that if he got a tan, then it wouldn't be suitable <laughs> for him to play the role. But yes, the backstory to the picture is clearly far from accurate. Yeah, but it's it's a scene that everybody will remember. And I have to say, it's another reminder, at actually... I think, how good Dominic West is yeah. in this series. It's, he's a very plausible and, 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 and very warm Charles. But let's see where it goes from here. Did you hear the latest? No, what's that? She flew 160 miles in the Harrods helicopter to visit a psychic. Diana's behaviour is becoming more and more erratic. Instead of learning from her mistakes, I gather she's flown back to the south of France again. The second episode comes to a close there with a beautiful shot of Diana sitting on a diving board at the edge of the yacht where she looks so, so alone and lost in thought and it's a spitting image of, well, the image from the time. I mean, the colour of the swimming costume and that kind of look in her eye, you know, and that picture was taken six days before her death. It's a really fitting end to the episode, I think. It's once again, it's that classic thing of, of the crown beautifully recreating something that we know happened and then hoping that because this is so faithfully recreated that everything else must be true as well, which palpably it isn't. But what it is, it's setting up, it's moving the story ever closer to the tragic denouement. And I mean, I think that's that's a powerful episode. I can't say I've enjoyed it. I found bits of it deeply uncomfortable. Frankly, I hope the princes don't watch it. I actually think this episode would have been greatly improved by just turning off the sound. Uh, I think some of the recreating of the pictures, that's where it's at its strongest. It's the recreating of the outfits, the scenery, the actors looking so much like the, the real members of the royal family. But some of the dialogue in this episode was toe curling. Mm. And obviously our profession comes under a lot of scrutiny there. So I think it wouldn't be the worst idea, given that the male seems to play quite a part in that, if we actually see if we can talk to uh, one of our colleagues who um, remembers a lot of this stuff particularly well. 
Well, we're delighted now to be joined by our colleague, Richard Kay, who really is the doyen of the Royal Correspondence, who uh, I can see him wincing when I say that, but he is. And, you know, I've been a royal journalist for many years, but Richard really does uh, know this story like no one else. Uh, so, Richard, welcome. Thank you for coming along. Um, Thanks and for having you, me. You, well, you're, you're sort of referenced uh, in one or two points in this episode. This is uh, a very concentrated period of royal stories when you know looking back on it well first of all there's the the, the princess taking the princes off on holiday with the fires then suddenly Dodie's on the scene then we find out it's more than a friendship it's a romance there's Bosnia all this is going on and then in the middle there's this extraordinary excursion in the Harrods helicopter maybe you could tell us a bit about <laughs> that yes uh Diana flew up to Derbyshire which is where her then um psychic i think she was a psychic she used to consult read the runes to her usually over the phone but she took dodie in a in a harrods helicopter and they flew up somewhere south of the peak district landing in this little derbyshire village in a, and alighting from a harrods helicopter where they spent not very long at all it was the most bizarre turn of events in the middle of this whole drama. Well, I have the copy here by you from the 14th of August, 1997. And it really does seem like Peter Morgan took direct inspiration from it. It's even in the way they narrate the scene. They say she flew 160 miles to see her psychic. And that is literally in the opening line of the story. So, you know, Peter Morgan, really, all credit should be, I think should be at <laughs> the end of the programme. <laughs> Um, but it's interesting because you say that it was speculated at the time that Dodie and Diana were there to get kind of approval for their match, but that actually she was um, meeting uh, someone who was suffering from cancer, which obviously is not reflected in the episode at all. No, well, that's that's a classic crown treatment. They conflate things and they draw inferences from things that nobody drew at the time. And it's all part of their narrative, of course. I get that. And we mustn't forget, Robert, it's fiction. It's only a drama, as we keep telling ourselves. But it does thoroughly enjoy using hindsight, doesn't it? Oh, it's brilliant at using hindsight. I mean, I, one of the things that struck me about this new uh, season was how they've made the Prince of Wales, he's a, he comes across as a much more reasonable, rounded figure than he had in earlier seasons. Morgan seems to have turned him into sort of every man. He is a spokesman for the public who had their reservations about how the royal family were reacting to the events of late August. Um, I don't think that was entirely an accurate view of what was going on at Balmoral at the time, but, you know, that's how Morgan is presenting it. Well, going back to Balmoral, um, you, you were there for that photo shoot that uh, is depicted in episode two, that moment where uh, we are led to believe a, a, a palace spin doctor rang up a local photographer and staged this thing uh, behind closed doors. I think anything but. It was a media circus, wasn't there? Absolutely. We'd been told the previous week, so several, three days, I think, before the pictures of Diana and Dodie had even been published. There were rumours of them, but they hadn't been seen by anybody, that the palace were going to hold a, a photo call with Charles and his sons um, who were going to arrive at Balmoral early. They were getting off the royal yacht ahead of the rest of the royal family that, who were on their traditional Western Isles cruise. And they would go to a prearranged spot on the Deeside estate. We all, when I say we, I'm talking about 
journalists and broadcasters. I think in all there are about 40 of us, camera crews, photographers and a handful of reporters. And we met at a prearranged place in a car park outside Ballater and we were then driven onto the estate in Royal Land Rovers uh, to a place called Brig of Dee, which is a favourite spot of the royal family. And we duly waited. And unlike the crown, in In the Crown, which depicted as a windswept, rainy day, it was beautiful, warm sun. The prince and his sons emerged out of the woods with two dogs, not one as in the Crown. Charles had his Jack Russell, William had his Labrador. And they very... How shall I put it? Well, they they performed, I guess. That's the best way for it. Charles was very pleasant, wished us all a, a good day. Boys were awkward, but, you know, they were teenagers, young teenagers, and they didn't like this kind of thing, but they did what was asked They'd for them. They'd done this on their skiing holidays, on their summer holidays, this idea of, right, we've got to go through this because if we do this, it'll get the, the media off our backs. Yeah, I mean... It was unusual because Balmoral is a very secure estate and it's very hard to see the royal family on the Balmoral estate um, because you can't wander over it. It's private in in great parts of it. So there was no real need for them to do it, but there was obviously a a sense that we should see something of the boys. We hadn't seen them in a formal photo course situation since William's first day at Eton two years earlier. So... You know, they've grown, they've changed. Physically, William was was now incredibly tall, taller than his father. So it it was an important staging post. One thing it seems that they did get right is that William and Harry look uncomfortable during the photo shoot. Harry's kind of seen to be skimming stones. And I've got your story again here from the 13th of August, 1997. And you said, yes, for William, above all, yesterday's event was especially testing. And he said, Harry too, usually so perky, was equally diffident, preferring to skim stones and smile for the cameras. Do you think that they got the feelings of Harry and William right? I think so. William and Harry, from what I saw of the snapshot on the crown, they've had their heads down most of the time, didn't really want to look up at the cameras. But, you know, we were kind of used to that. Robert, you were there on those photo calls. They never really enjoyed it. No, they, uh, they, they regarded them as, a, as an irritant. And for the most part, the press would then go away um, and leave them alone. Yeah, but their experience, of course, was somewhat different. Um, They could make these agreements with the British press, but uh, the foreign press never observed these rules and codes and just carried on. Anyway, I think it was broadly right, except, of course, in The Crown, they've just got this local Scottish photographer, which is not the case at all. And it's a contrived situation that is entirely a direct response. This is how The Crown presents it, as a direct response to the Dodie and Diana picture. In fact, from memory, um, it was actually put to the palace official who was organising it that this was a, a direct response, and she absolutely angrily denied it and pointed out that it had been organised before the pictures had even emerged of of Diana and Dodie. So it was not a a quid pro quo. Never let truth get in the way of a good story. Fact or fiction? (laughs) Well, I don't think we can do any better uh, on that front than the man who was there, saw it and wrote a lot of it, Richard Kay. Thank you so much for coming on The Crown Fact or Fiction. Well, that concludes the second episode of The Crown Fact or Fiction. And as ever, we've 
spotted quite a lot of both, I think, haven't we, Natasha? Yes, absolutely. If you've enjoyed listening, please do give us a five-star rating and a follow. Even leave a friendly comment if you get a chance. It really makes a huge difference. And if you enjoy The Crown, you'll love The Mail's weekly royal talk show, Palace Confidential. Join host Joe Elvin, The Mail's royal editor, Rebecca English, and The Paper's diary editor, Richard Eden, as they discuss all the latest news from the House of Windsor whether it's the challenges of the King's first year, to the growing influence of William and Catherine, or the controversies of Harry and Meghan, Palace Confidential is the one place to come for all your royal news and views. You can find Palace Confidential on YouTube every Thursday. But for now, thanks to our special guest, Richard Kay, and thanks to you for listening to The Crown, Fact or Fiction. The next episode will be available very soon. Goodbye. Goodbye. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.